Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, so um, you could turn to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to look at the second part now on how to turn defeat into victory, because Joshua, as we talked last week, um, and, and we've now, I think, a couple weeks with this, I, this, this truth that Joshua has lost a battle at AI that he should have easily won. There should have been no contest whatsoever. And Joshua lost this battle. And so, obviously, he's down because 36 of his soldiers have lost their life. They actually turned and they fled. 3,000 soldiers ran from AI. And so Joshua, he's perplexed to say the least. But the good thing about Joshua is he doesn't wallow in it. And how many people wallow in failure and defeat? But instead, and he does have that little moment. He's human. He does have the little moment where he says, maybe we should have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan. But he snaps out of it very quickly because he's fallen on his face before the ark of God. So now you see a whole different transition in him where it's like, I need to find out from God what went wrong. And that's a really good move on his part. Now, do you remember last week, I, I, I laid out two questions that we should ask ourselves whenever we have a failure, something goes wrong, a defeat, whatever. Do you remember the two questions I asked, told you to ask yourself? The first question was, what did I what? What did I do wrong, right? You remember that one? And what would I do? You know, so it's what went wrong and what would I do differently? Those are the best two questions. Those were in your notes last week. And the first one, uh, what went wrong, that's an analytical question. The second one, what would I do differently, that's an application uh, question right there. And so when you think about those questions, one has to do with thinking, and the second one has to do with absolutely, you do it now. So you've changed your thinking. Now, one of the things that, especially in leadership circles, and those of you who have people under you, employees, and maybe you hire, I'm sure you have had experiences where you have hired somebody that it turns out they had a very low emotional IQ. Not an intellectual IQ, but an emotional IQ. Do you, anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? Which means they can be very good at the job, the actual hands-on part of the job, but they can be a nightmare when it comes to working with other people or listening or if you have to offer any little bit of correction, they can just, they take it so personal. That's an emotional IQ right there. You guys know, follow me so far? And so you, you, you know, once you've made a few mistakes like that, you become a lot slower to hire because you don't want to do that again, all right? And so we find Joshua here, he's got a high emotional IQ, he is not going to stay stuck in this situation. But instead, he's going to move forward. So that's why he drops before the ark. And he, you could, that's why you could tell, say that he's an adult. He's an emotional adult. And we can be spiritual. Listen, guys, I've been in church 40-some years. We can be so spiritual and quote all the verses and be able to rapid-fire them off, but then turn around and be so emotionally stunted in our life that we become the nightmare to other people. And so, um, so Joshua, you could see where he's, he's spiritual, but he also has a high emotional IQ. So God lays out to him a, a new plan. And we saw the plan last week. He hasn't told the troops yet. We'll see where he does in this chapter. So in your notes, here we go. Um, I want to 
recap on last week a little bit. To turn defeating the victory, the, number one, have a plan. Last week, we already read about the plan. We'll see it again, so I'm not going to go back and read that part of it again. Now, <clears throat> it's important that uh, in just life, you should have a plan. But if, if something goes wrong, and you, you know, what went wrong, what would I do differently? I need to have a plan. How many of you do you remember, or have you ever heard of, uh, it was, a, I think it's 30 years ago when I read it, you ever heard of the book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Raise your hand if you read that book, you heard of it or read of it, okay. It's a really good book. It's got a lot of practical um, uh, information on how to live successfully. And one of the things that really jumped out at me that uh, it was a real important thing when I read it, I go, man, that's so true. He has a chapter that says that you want to begin for your life when you're planning, you want to begin with the end in mind. And then he gives the illustration. And the illustration is you've got to pretend that you are there at your own funeral and you're watching everything happen. And people are going up and they're talking about you. And so the question is this, he goes, whatever you want those people to say about you, that is what you should be living right now. So you begin with that end. This is what I want people to think about me and say about me based on how I've lived my life. So you begin with the end in mind. Once you understand that, now you take your life right now and you begin to map out and you begin to plan out how you want to live your life in a certain way. Now, I'll give you some examples of this. Um, how many of you, I've been through it twice, uh, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Seminar. How many have been through that one right there? Okay, yeah, we might do a, a, a shorter version of it here in church um, this year, maybe early next year. But, but the Financial Peace Seminar with Dave Ramsey, it's like 12 weeks. We might condense it to six. But I remember when I took that seminar, the two times I've taken it. And one of the things that really I took from that was he makes the statement uh, Live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later or tomorrow. Live like no one else now so you can live like no one else tomorrow or later. And I thought, that is so true. And here's what he meant by that. He's talking about a plan. He says, in your right now, in your life financially, you, can't, don't, you don't want to live like everybody else because there are too many people, not everyone, but too many people spend everything they make. They, they just blow everything they make. And you may sit there and look at them and say, man, they have this, they have that, I wish I had that. But you can't get caught up in stuff like that. Because you don't know how many, t how many people behind closed doors are fighting over money because they have all these things and it stretches them very far. And so you have to learn to tell yourself that simple two-letter word and that is no. You got to tell yourself no. And so you're wanting to live right now like no one else. Not like everybody because you're telling yourself no because... When later in your life, you want to live like nobody, no one else because you want to live, you want to have the funds to be able to live the way you want to. So you've got to map those things out. I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. And so, you know, Olivia and I take that, and I, we've never been people to use credit cards and get, and get in debt. And I, I, I'm allergic to car payments, guys. I don't know if you are, too. I, I drive my cars for a long time. You know, I drove, remember my black truck, remember my black truck, my ram truck, I've, I've had the gray one now for like, God, I can't believe it's been like almost, I think seven years, seven years, but uh, I drove the black one 15 years, and um, somebody told me, that mechanic said, you need to get rid of that truck, I'm like, oh, oh man, I've, I've only not had payments for 11 years, I don't know if that's enough, you know, and so, because I look at it like, I'm just throwing money away if I keep having payments, so I'm allergic to it, 
But um, so um, so we start at looking at things, and then so we we get, we get into our Libby and I. We met. We start doing this thing where we want to pay off our house quicker, and we were able to pay off our house in 16 years, not 30 years. Uh, because of things we did and the way interest rates dropped. And so um, I'm t- we're telling ourselves, no, we live very frugally, this and that. And even last week when I told you I took her to Fleming's, remember, for steak? Remember that one right there? And you, some of you probably thought, wow, where'd you get that money, huh? You know, and I said, we, that's a rarity. Uh, our night out is typically we'll go to, you know, I, I don't know, Flame broiler or whatever, what is it, what's it called? You know, the, the chicken and rice, is that what it's called right there? Yeah, that's like us right there. We don't spend a lot of money on food. But it's, so it's a rarity we do that. So we, we, we map these things out because we want to live a certain way now. And so when I heard that Dave Ramsey thing, that was the first time then we really started locking down hard to really start, you know, putting money in retirement accounts to set ourselves up for the future so that we can live the way we want to live in our older age. And, and, and so we set plans in motion, and we've stuck to the plans. Now, the whole thing is about Joshua has a plan right here. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus, did he have a plan? Yes, he did. In Mark chapter 1, and you can write down verse 38 if you want, if you're taking those notes to that extreme. But Jesus is, he's healing people in Mark 1, and verse 38 will be specific. He's healing people, he's casting out demons, and there's a lot of people that want him, right? And so he goes that night, it's a long day, he goes to sleep that night, and he wakes up early the next day before anybody wakes up, and he goes off by himself. The disciples wake up, and they can't find him, and they go looking for him. And when they find him by himself... Here's what they tell them. They say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. What are you doing over here? In other words, people need you. People want you for this, 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 and this. When they say everybody's looking for you, you know what Jesus tells his disciples? He says, I must leave here and go to other cities and preach there also, for that is the reason I came. Now think of what Jesus just did in that moment. He told, he's basically saying, I know there's a lot of need out there, But I've got to say no to that because the purpose and the reason of my life, I've got to keep spreading this gospel everywhere, not just here. And so that's one of the things you learn. You learn to tell yourself no and say no to some people so you stay focused on whatever you need to do to get to where you want to get to and whatever the plan is of your life. Does that make sense? Now, did Jesus ever get tempted to veer off the plan? Yes, he did. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? That was a massive struggle right there because he tells the father and he says, he goes, Father, uh, Jim, to kind of paraphrase, hey, man, is there another plan? Is there any other way than than the way we're we're going to go about this? And the answer is basically, no, there isn't. And so Jesus, that's when Jesus utters the famous words, then thy will be, be done. So in other words, this is it. This is the plan. And that tells us that sometimes the plan that we have set in motion in the future, it's very difficult to stick to, is it not? There's a lot of temptation to pull us off that, but in those difficult moments, you've got to stick to those plans, my friend. Now, if you think about Jesus even more, there is temptation to pull him off the plan. Do you remember in the desert temptation? Remember when Satan's tempting him in the desert? And it says that Satan took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, we know the world is round for you flat earther people. The world is round. The Bible says it's vaulted, which means it's round. Um, uh, so we, we know that. So you can't see all the kingdoms of the world from a mountain. There's no mountain high enough to see them all. 
And so that had to be a, a, a temptation of the mind. But he says, fall down and worship me, I'll give you it all. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But think of the temptation. The temptation was, I know you got a plan. I know this is what you're going to do. But guess what? You can take a shortcut. You can take a shortcut and do it this way. And I'll even give you all the stuff if you just do it my way. And so Satan will always, we draw from that, one of his schemes is he will tempt us to get off the plans that God has put into our lives. And in, in, in backpacking, we're, when we're climbing, if you ever backpack, you might be scissoring up a mountain that's called a switchback. And one of the things you do not do, is, it's against the laws of the backcountry, is you don't cut the trail. You don't just go, well, I don't want to cut, I just cut this way. You don't do that. Because you'll start to erode things, so when the rains come and the water drains, it starts to really run the trail, and it destroys the trail. And so you don't cut the trail. Same in life. You don't take the shortcut. You don't, you don't cut the trail. You stick to the path. You tell yourself no when you need to tell yourself no. It doesn't matter what anybody's doing. It doesn't matter what anyone else has. And by the way, doesn't that take security? Doesn't that take security to tell yourself no when you want to look like you got it like everybody else got it? It takes personal security to be able to say no and not worry about, oh, they might think I don't have. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Nobody, by the way, nobody's thinking about you. Any amens on that one right there? I know you think they are, but they're not, okay? They got their own problems. So here we go. That was, is that, did I take a long time on that point? Wow, that's a good one. Verse 9, here we go. Let's pick up from last week. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai. On the west side of Ai, but Joshua spent that night among the people. Now, the point two is this in your notes. Know that Jesus backs his plan for you. His plan for you. That's a very important statement. Now, in verse 9, look at it and tell me what Joshua is doing, uh, in, specifically in verse 9. What is he doing? Raise your hand and tell me. What is he, Richard? He remains. He, he's with the guys, right? So he's sleeping in the camp with the camp. He's not where, he's, where he lives. He's hanging out with his guys. He's sleeping and he's camping out in, in, in the battle with the guys. Now Joshua is a, um, he's a symbol also in typology. He's a typology symbol of Jesus Christ. So let's keep that in the framework of what we're talking about. Keep your marker here and just really quickly look at Proverbs chapter 16 to your right. Now watch this. So Jesus backs his plan for you and I. Not our plan, but his plan. Where you're in Proverbs 3, say, I'm there. there. Yeah, Proverbs 16 and verse 3. And watch what it says here. It says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. So you commit all these things to the Lord, your plans will be established. Now, you may say, well, see, it's my plan. He's going to back my plan. That's not what, when you put the, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So you put it all together, and you know that when you became a Christian, how many know your whole attitude, your mental disposition, the way you looked at everything, it changed? Any amens? And you know the more you got to know Jesus Christ, the more he changed your heart, right? And the more Jesus changes your heart, now Jesus can put his plan in your heart. And therefore, now his plan becomes your plan because he put that in your heart. Any amens on that one? And when his plan is in your heart because you've been transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to his light because you have God's heart now, well, you have God's plan now, and God can answer that plan right there. Any amens? So that's how you put it together biblically all together right there. Now, so 
you commit the plans to the Lord and it'll be established. So let's, let's go back to Joshua here. So he backs uh, my, my, his plans. So he's t- Joshua's typology is Jesus. Where's he at again? He's in the midst of the fighting. Is he not? Is he not? So when I'm walking in God's plan, because now these guys are going to carry out the plan. Joshua is in their midst. When I'm walking in God's plan, God is in my midst. Does that make sense? Because it's his plan, correct? Correct. Now, this has helped me, and I'm sure it's helped you so much in my life. Um, uh, you know, the church, uh, the pressure of the church, and um, some of you have been me, with me for 30 years plus, and you've seen us go through some pretty tough stuff, and you've seen me under tremendous pressure and things, and, and you know, it just, it just goes with the program. And, um, but there's something I learned, uh, and it's a statement that I learned that I, I try to practice and I, I give it to the younger ministers. When there's something that comes up, something's big and, you know, and, you know, look, when we got our first office, the rent was $610. And I remember thinking, where will we get $610 a month? I remember thinking that. It was 1994. I wish it was $610 now. It's, in, it's like infinity numbers now. And so there's like all kinds of pressures of these things. And so when things break, and when things break here, they're big breaks, okay? And it's not nothing cheap. And so or something has to be redone because things are wearing out. Because honestly, when you get new people at church, they are going to look at cleanliness how it's updated, they're just, look, I know that, and they're going to look at those things, I mean, I've already got in my head, we got to, it's about time to start redoing those bathrooms, because you know, they're fine, uh, new people coming in, they're going to look at certain things, and I'm always thinking like that, I want to make sure things are updated, man, I don't even like if there's a cardboard box left out there, it's just like, who left that cardboard box out there, it really bothers me, and so, but things come up, big breaks, this and that, but I always, this is what I heard, learned, and I tell God, I, I remind God, because like he forgot. <laughs> I said, God, this church was your idea. So this problem's your problem. It's not my problem. You're going to have to come up with how to fix this. You're going to have to come up with the money. because I, I, I never came up with this idea. And so I know this was God's plan. And so since it was God's plan, he got to take care of it. And I can go home and eat a sandwich and watch Wheel of Fortune and have a good night and go to sleep. And not carry all the pressure of thinking, this is the pressure's on me. When it's not, this is on God. And I hope that helps you, some of you in this place tonight. Now, let's go to Joshua 8. I'm going to read 10 through 17. Now, here is Joshua telling his men the plan. Um, and some of the aftermath of it. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before uh, the people to Ai. Then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai, he took, and he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai. Bethel means house of God, on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city, and its rear guard on the west side of the city, and Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley. 
it came about when the king of Ai saw it. Now the king of Ai wakes up the next morning. He sees, he only sees the army that's in front of the city. He doesn't see the army that's gone to the back. He doesn't see the other part of the army that's between Bethel and Ai. He doesn't see that. He only sees this army right here. And so, when the king saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. So he, he doesn't know these troops are behind him. Joshua also had troops at Bethel. And in case Bethel joins here, he's got troops to fight off Bethel. So Joshua's covered all the bases. That's what God told him. Brilliant plan. Brilliant plan. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. <clears throat> Verse 16. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. And they were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel and they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Okay, that's a mouthful, right? Okay, I explain it now. <clears throat> First off, quickly from last week. Remember last week we said you got to know the devil's schemes? Anybody remember that? So they're using the devil's schemes against them. They already know the last way Ai handled it was Ai came out fast and hard, straightforward against him. Remember that? So Joshua knows that. That's the way the enemy operates. I'm going to use that against them. So you got to understand the devil's schemes. You want to understand the devil's schemes quickly? Read Genesis 3, very, uh, read it slowly, the first seven verses, and you will see how Satan works his schemes. Do you want to see his schemes? They're right there, man. So, um, and so Joshua is using the, the, the enemy's uh, uh, MO, the methodology, against them. Now, here's the point. Verse 3, I want to draw from the enemy's actions, I want to give you a way, uh, something that we need to know on our side. Do not leave parts of your life undefended. Do not leave parts of your life undefended. That's a big one. When you're experiencing victory in an area of your life, it's really easy to ignore another area of your life, is it not? When you're experiencing victory in two or three areas of your life, it's easy to think, I'm okay, but you're a mess on this side over here. Am I right on that one? Uh, case in point. How many have ever met someone who's dynamic? They are great on the job. They're making it happen. People are patting them on the back. But at home, it's a nightmare in that marriage. It's a nightmare in that family. They're great at the job, but they've left this part undefended, and they don't even know how to operate in this other front of their life. Does that make sense right there? And so... Never, ever leave other parts of your life undefended, especially when things are really working in certain areas. Be really careful about that. You want to be victorious in all areas of your life, my friends. Amen? Now, let's look at verse 18. 18 to 26. I'm going to explain this as I go. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin spear, that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. The men in ambush rose quickly from their place, and when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they quickly set the city on fire. So when the people of men of Ai come forward, all the men leave. They're going to fight because they see Joshua and the guys pretending to run. They leave, but what happens with the 
with the army in the backside. They don't know who's there. They come into the city. Once the city's been vacated and all the AI soldiers are gone, they come in, they take the city, and they light that thing on fire. Okay, that's where we're at. When the men, verse 20, when the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that, for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. Now, here's what's going on. They're out here and they're fighting. AI has left. They, Israel's retreating. They're chasing it. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, hey, look back there. Oh, I smell smoke. And they see the city on fire. You ever remember that? How many love the movie Gladiator? Okay, that's like my life story, but that's another thing. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember that big opening scene? I remember when I saw it, I was like, you know that movie's 24 years old now? That's incredible. So I remember seeing that movie at, at, um, uh, on a Friday night late with some guys from church over at uh, Mills Mall, the AMC Theater, and somebody snuck in a, I can remember this, a big box of uh, Krispy Kreme donuts under the jacket. It was a great night. And, uh, <laughs> and so... Do you remember when Maximus, you know, uh, he, he goes behind. Remember he goes in the forest behind? Remember that? Please say you remember. And so, um, you know, so the, the Roman army starts going against Germania, and, uh, and Ger- Germania comes out, starts fighting against them. They don't know that Maximus is behind them. They don't know he's with the cavalry. They're on the horses. Remember Maximus' dog? Remember Maximus? What you do in life echoes in eternity. I just love that line. And so, and then all of a sudden, when they're battling, and here comes Maximus. He's riding through the forest. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here comes the cavalry. And all of a sudden, the Germanian uh, 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 soldier, somebody says something, and they turn back, and they see Maximus coming. And now they know they're surrounded. Now they know they've been had, man. When I read this, that's what I think about. I think about Gladiator. I think this is exactly what happened in the movie right there. They're, they're squished. And so now they've chased them. They see the city on fire. They turn back. And now the, the army that was running from AI, Joshua and the guy, they turn, the, Joshua sends the army back at them. So now they're just trapped. They have nowhere to go now. It's a great plan, the way he's got the enemy just compressed in that place. Now, verse 21. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city... And that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. The others came out from the city to encounter them, so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now it came about when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field and the wilderness, and they pursued them, and all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Okay. Point, let me, let me, here's the point, verse 4. Worship during the battle. You want to have victory? Worship during the battle. Don't wait till after the battle's over. Don't wait till you get, when I just get through this season of my life. Sorry, that's wrong. You worship God in the midst of the battle. You worship Him all the time. God tells Joshua to do something really interesting while the battle is raging. He says, Joshua, you take the javelin, the spear. And while that battle's going on, you stand there and you hold the spear and you aim it towards Ai. And you keep that javelin in your hand, hold, point it towards Ai, 
until that battle's over. Question, does that remind your biblical mind of any other event in the history of Israel up to that moment? Moses. It reminds you of Moses. Exactly. It reminds you of Moses. Turn to Exodus, chapter, to your left, chapter 17. Now watch this. So it seems like God is doing a couple of simple precedents here that he's doing things he's done before. This isn't the battle against Amalek. They're, they're, they're cruising through the desert. And Amalek, you know, they're, the, the battle's on now. Now watch this. Now watch the, the parallel to Joshua with Moses. In verse 8 through 13, it says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at uh, Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. This is Moses saying, I'm going to be up there to hold the staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him. And don't you just love uh, servants? They just go do it, man. I'm going to go do it. You don't worry about a thing, Moses. I'm going to go do it. Um, and he fought. And fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Check it out. Moses is up on that hill. Keep your hands up, Moses. As long as you keep your hands up, we're going to win. But he's human. His, hands get, his arms get what? They get tired. So they got to prop stones underneath there and make sure he keeps those hands up. And as he hands those hands up, who's down fighting the battle in the valley there? It's Joshua. So Joshua knows this stuff firsthand. He says, I know this stuff. So now the time comes when Joshua is told, hold the spear. Joshua goes, I know exactly what's going to happen here. I've been through this before, except I was the guy fighting down the battle. Now I get to be the guy that holds the spear up. And I got to keep my, my spear up the whole time. And so the whole imagery of the thing is, as Moses is lifting up his hands, it's the image of worship, is it not? As Joshua is lifting up his hands, it's the image of worship, is it not? And so while the battle is raging down there, if we want to win the battle, we worship during our battles. We keep our eye on God. We don't pull back. We don't sit there and say, well, it's just too hard to go to church right now. No, it isn't. When it gets hard is when you need to go to church. When it's tough, when the battle is raging, well, it's when you need to be there. But how many people withdraw at that time? They think it's going to get better. It's going to get worse because now you're by yourself, left to, left to your own thoughts. How many of you know in this room, left to your own thoughts, it don't get any better? It kind of gets bad, bad, right? No, you need to get out. You're, you're, I like to say entropy. You know, things move from order to chaos. Your mind is like your grass. You have to mow it or it gets, turns to chaos, my friends. That's your mind. That's everything in the universe. It's called entropy. Now, you got to worship God in the middle of it. Can I show you something not in your notes? Yeah, okay, I figured you would like that. Turn to Isaiah 14, watch this. About, it's about worship. To your right. You don't go real far, but right after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Son of Solomon, Isaiah. 
When you're in Isaiah 14, say I'm there. Okay, this is a dual application verse, verse 12. It's speaking of Lucifer, we know as Satan. But it's also speaking of, of another person in the whole context here. So think of it in the context of Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Now we know that as Lucifer, correct? Lucifer is called star of the morning. morning. Oh, that's interesting. You know what this Hebrew for is for star of the morning? Hallel. It's Lucifer's name, Hallel. What does that sound like? Hallelujah. Every time you worship, you're in the middle of a battle, and you come to church, you sing Hallelujah. What you're doing is reminding Satan that he's a loser of what he lost. And you're walking in the victory of God. And you sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it reminds him that he's a defeated foe. And it should be a reminder to you and I that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. Any amens on that one right there? Always remember, you worship during the battle. Now, let's get back to Joshua. Let's try to pick up this thing and drive it home. Verse 27. Um... Israel took only the cattle and the, and the spoil of the city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. Isn't that interesting? Now they get to keep the spoils. We said that last week. If only Achan would have waited, right? Those who gave God the first fruits get the next fruits, guys. It's just that simple. If you give God the first fruits, you get the next fruits. Now, verse 28. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. He hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua gave command, and they took his body down from, um, down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. That's nice, isn't it? Now, they take the king and they put him on a tree. We know it like that as like a cross, but hung them on a tree. Now, this is a real, it's a real strong biblical imagery that we need to understand. Keep your marker right here and go to Deuteronomy 21. Just one, one, one little bit to your left. Deuteronomy 21. Now, there's something about being hung on a tree that's very important to understand. And it, and it really relates to us as New Testament believers, as we'll see in a second. Now, Joshua's following precedent with this whole idea because what's going on here is this group of Ai and the people of, uh, of Canaan's land, promised land, they're into all kinds of sins. This king is into all kinds of sin. We've talked about that in the past. Now, verse 22 and 23 of Deuteronomy 21 says... If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is put to death, and you will hang him on a tree. Was Jesus hung on a tree? Say yes. Isn't that interesting? His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For you is hanged is accursed, he's cursed, of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So Joshua's following this precedence here that, you know, is a cursed man. This king is cursed. 
So they hang him on a tree. Now, watch this. Let's go to Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 3. Now watch what it says of Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. Now watch verse uh, 10 through 13 of Galatians chapter 3. It says, For as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. In other words, by doing good works it can't save you. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So if you think you're going to be saved by what you do, then you better get every, every law in this Bible right all the time. Otherwise you're not going to be saved. Verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ means the anointed one. Redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, then he quotes what we read before. For it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a, on a tree. So this king is cursed, so he's, they hang him. Jesus, because of the man's sin. Jesus, in the New Testament, for us, they hang him on a tree. And he's hung on a tree, not that he's a sinner, but he's carrying our sins. And when you look at the word curse, it means liable for the penalty. In other words, you're taking the penalty of the sins. And so here comes Jesus, and he's hung on the tree. He's becoming the curse for you and I because of our sins. It's amazing, an amazing correlation with Deuteronomy's statement right there, that Jesus would become our curse. Now, can I give you a sidebar on curses? Okay. So they take Jesus. And then they torture him. And they torture him. And he's got to carry that patibulum. 600 yards, gradually going uphill. Weighs about 110 pounds, that crossbeam. And um, he gets there, his back's wide open. They throw him to the ground, which means more gravel and dirt get in his open wounds because you could probably see the organs in his back from all the whip marks he's already taken. He's already bled so much, he's not slept, he hasn't eaten, hasn't drank anything. So he's probably going into shock. Then they nail him to the crossbeam, they lift him up, and they, they put him on there. And then when they put him up there, then they, they, they had already woven a crown of thorns he was wearing, and they make sure they put that on his head. So, um, why thorns? Why they put a crown of thorns on him? There's, I think there's a good reason. Do you remember when Adam sins in Genesis chapter 3? You say, you mean Eve. No, I mean Adam. It says that Eve was thoroughly deceived, but Adam basically knew what he was doing in the New Testament. And it also says in, in, in Romans ch chapter 5 that through one man, sin entered into the world. One man. That's called headship, guys. And I'll talk about that in a week and a half on Sunday. One man. But one of the results, it says, and then God starts laying out these curses because they've sinned. And one of the curses is that plants would now put forth thorns. It's part of the curse. And so 
this whole little piece of New Testament that's not very big that says, and they wove a crown of thorns and pressed it into his head. And the thorns are about two and a half inches long, this certain type of plant. So it's pressing into his head, scalp. So when that happens, you have to kind of put two and two together. And you realize in that moment, as they put the thorns on him, that Jesus is not only becoming a curse for us, but he's also in that same moment beginning to reverse the curse upon our life. That we can walk in the blessing of God. He's not just become the curse, he's reversing the curse in our life. That little thing that's happening right there speaks volumes. Now, last thing. We'll drive this one home. Number five, build on past victories. Build on past victories. Go back to Joshua. I'm not going to read anything, but remember, they, 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 they threw the king of Ai at the front of the city, and they put a bunch of stones over him, and it, it stands there as a memorial to this day, correct? Yeah? It's a memorial. It's a, it's a point in time where you got to remember. That, that was for every time they walked by, they go, that, we remember what God did here at Ai, that God gave us victory. you got to have points in life, at least in the thought process, in your memory, you've got to be a rememberer of what God has done in your past victoriously. Any amens? Because that is a faith builder in life. The person who forgets the great things that God has done, the victories that God has given, you're going to be miserable the next time something goes wrong. And you're, the, those things that happened yesterday, you've got to tap into them because, no, God, I know it looks bad now, but I know it looked bad at this time in my life, and you came through and you did something about it. And I remember that. You've got to be a rememberer, especially in the midst of the chaos and the problems of our life in a corrupt, fallen world. Let me give you another reason to be a remember, and we'll finish with this. You're not, you're not going to come back to Joshua. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this little section. Deuteronomy 8. When you're there, say I'm there. Okay, now watch this. This is God speaking to him, giving him a warning. Because they're coming near the end of the trip through the desert. Now watch. Verse 7. I'll read 13 verses. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, Sounds pretty good, huh? Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Then here's the warning, guys. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. 
He brought water for you out of a rock. In tough times, remember what God did there. Verse 16. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not even know, that he might humble you, that you might, he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. People say, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. No, you're not. That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. It shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you today, that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made, makes to perish before you. So you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Pretty intense, huh? He says, when I bless you, and your life starts to crank really good in the right direction, and things are going good, and you're accumulating, and it's all going good, the tendency, the danger is, we can easily forget God and think that I've done this thing. And we've got to be careful. He says, when things are going good in your life, that's when you need to really drill down and remember God even more in your life because you're in a vulnerable position at that moment. Be a rememberer. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word, Lord, because it is amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for what you teach us and how to, how to turn defeat feet into victory through the life of Joshua, God. Thank you for that. And thank you for becoming a curse for us, Lord, so our sins could be forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen and amen. amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.